Hi, everyone, and welcome to Radio Cloud Native from Marantis, where we break down the week's, uh, week's news on Kubernetes, the cloud native landscape, and the wider world of tech. I'm Eric Gregory. And I'm John Jainchik. This week, it's KubeCon in A. We're coming to you live from the show, and we've got a raft of announcements, a first look at trends from the show, and more. The core show really just kicked off this morning, but how have you found it so far, John? Uh, it's been astonishing, and I'm delighted that they decided to hold it in Detroit this time. Detroit is a fabulous city I have not visited before, and I really am enjoying the occasional digging, you know, opportunities to dig in, uh, parties, dances, and socials in and around the show. Um, you know, it, it's astonishing from the architecture to the people, everything I've seen about Detroit so far uh, has really been remarkable. It's a, you know, it's a destination. People should see it. Absolutely. It's my first time too. And you, uh, articulated beautifully my thoughts, which were, it's nice. <laughs> well, it really is. And then the weather has been particularly nice this week, freakish climate change, you know, notwithstanding. Um, it's been mostly in the 70s, you know, delightful blue skies, you know, and these are blue Midwestern skies. Um, and it, it shows the city off to advantage. Uh, Detroit is a, is a, you know, a city that, um, that obviously profited from the automobile industry and other industries here. It has a central location and has been an economic powerhouse in the past and seems to be recovering its feet after a, a number of challenging years. Um, and uh, all, all the facilities in downtown are lovely. The architecture of the buildings are lovely. It's, it seems extraordinarily livable. And as a relatively new driver, I appreciate the high quality of highway and, uh, and urban driving that I have seen so far in town. People really know how to operate cars here. <laughs> As you would hope. Not, not kidding. Well, let's uh, let's dive right into the show. Uh, first of all, we have our own Marantis announcements. Uh, so first, we announced a big update for Marantis Container Cloud that enables you to manage Ceph storage nodes seamlessly and consistently through the same single pane of glass UI as all of your other Kubernetes infrastructure. So when you need more storage, Marantis Container Cloud makes it easy to expand your capacity by adding additional storage nodes through the UI or remove or reallocate those storage nodes. And that means in practice, it's a whole lot easier and more consistent to manage clusters running mission-critical workloads supporting millions of users with petabytes of data storage accessible by Kubernetes cluster. We also have an update for Marantis Kubernetes Engine, which now supports Google Cloud Platform, so you can run MKE across all of the big three cloud providers in addition to hosted bare metal with Equinix, bare metal, or VMs. Of course, MKE lets you run Swarm and Kubernetes simultaneously, giving you the flexibility to use both orchestrators side by side for both Linux and Windows nodes, so it's really never been more flexible. And uh, just a few reminders about what we've got going on at the show. If you're here or you're coming today or tomorrow, come say hi at Booth G9, where we're showcasing Lin6, Amazie's Lagoon, Marantis Kubernetes Engine, and more. We've got some giveaways in both our virtual and in-person booths, daily raffle prizes where you can win a LEGO Robot Inventor Kit, free and Which is cool. It is cool. Uh, you can get free annual Lens Pro subscriptions or even a PlayStation 5. Uh, if you're on site, you can pick up free chocolate bars that contain coupons for 30% off training courses from Rantis Training or one of three golden tickets for free on demand cloud native development bootcamp courses worth $3,000 USD. Whew. Uh, if you're super fast, you can also pick up a print copy of my Learn Kubernetes Five Minutes at a Time, which releases today. Anyone can grab a free ebook edition at marantis.com/resources/learn-kubernetes five minutes at a time with hyphens between all those words, and um, we'll post a link to that in the chat for live viewers. 
We've also got talks from several Marantis folks uh, at 2.30 here uh, coming right up. Uh, we've got Christian Hubner, uh, Principal Architect at Marantis, and Mark Apadia, Software Engineer at Arna Networks, talking about implementing private 5G networks for enterprises with Kubernetes. And then tomorrow, we've got Senior Engineer UC Numlin from Marantis and Rastislav Zabo from Kubernetes giving a talk called Remote Control Plans with Connectivity. And finally, we're interested in SysDig or jointly sponsoring a mixer at Anchor Bar tonight. That's Wednesday, October 26th, the beginning at 8 p.m. So come join us there, have some food and drinks on Rantis and SysDig, and we'll talk Kubernetes and cloud native security and all that fun stuff. So before we really dive into KubeCon, uh, there was some really fascinating conversation towards the end of last week about public cloud, and maybe we should start there. Uh, could you break that down for us, John? Uh, I sure can. Uh, this is, uh, uh, pertains to a blog uh, written by David uh, Hansen uh, of Basecamp in Hay. Um, he published this blog, and it was stunningly lucid. It was called, Why We're Leaving the Cloud. It certainly does not bury the lead. Um, and the reason he gave uh, why Basecamp and Hay are leaving the cloud after a decade of using it is that they have computed uh, in a disciplined way that they haven't actually shed any complexity in the process. They have as many brains spending as much time operating their public cloud um, uh, estate uh, as they would on private clouds that they've all worked on in the past. Uh, and they realize that they're paying a significant premium for the services they need to operate by comparison with what they would pay to gain these services from an appropriately configured private cloud. Further, Hansen asserts that at this point, there are really only two families of use cases that do genuinely save using public clouds, reliably so anyway. Either your app is uh, was just born yesterday and you don't have any customers yet, so you really do save by not having a data center, um, and, and you're not bleeding money because you're not you're running at scale, or you have a profitable app with insanely bursty traffic, so you don't know from one minute to the next whether you need 10 servers or 100. And at that point, public cloud elasticity makes sense for your use case. The bottom line, though, he says, is that for most organizations, and I, I agree, with uh, most organizations have scaled up operations, they have diverse operations, they're running several to many apps. Uh, arguably, they have fairly predictable traffic because they have a diverse statistical picture of traffic producers and consumers. So they're going to do better via repatriation. Uh, they're going to do better by building a private cloud or clouds to enjoy the same kind of services and resilience that they get from public clouds. The problem of complexity, of course, does not go away. Um, and uh, now you own the stuff. So people are going to need to explore ways of contending with that complexity so that they don't get consumed by it. Um, and, uh, you know, from our perspective, we think that problem is best solved by working with a flexible, specialized partner who manages your cloud, lets you focus on apps, and guarantees your ROI. There are uh, ways, uh, you know, to have private cloud benefits without, uh, in a sense, all of private cloud's historic costs. Yeah, absolutely. It really underlines the way that, uh, you know, so-called managed cloud services are often uh, pretty hands-off, right? Uh, the the management is is pretty shallow. Um, so there's a need for for much more involved, but uh, a tier beyond managed, right? Uh, and that's the kind of zero ops framework that we're often talking about. Yep. Well, let's uh, let's dive right into news out of the show. Uh, so 
I always like to talk Wassum, and we've got some interesting Wassum stories coming out of KubeCon. Uh, the CNCF released what they're calling a microsurvey on WebAssembly adoption in cloud-native projects, talking to just about 100 cloud-native developers about their Wasm usage. And you can kind of get the vibe of their conclusions from the announcement blog title, which is, quote, a transformative technology, yes, but time to get serious, unquote. The top line result is that 28% of respondents are currently using Wasm in cloud native projects and an additional 36% say they're planning to do so within the next 12 months. So that's 64% either using it or planning to do so in the short term, which leaves another 36% saying they're not using it and have no plans to do so. Out of those using or planning to use Wasm, 42% are focused on server side apps and 48% are focused on a mixture of server and client side. Only 18% are working or planning to work exclusively on client side apps with Wasm. The folks turning to Wasm report they're primarily doing so for language choice and speed in environments where performance might be constrained by context. And we get a little peek at what that means in the responses on target environments for Wasm usage. 54% say they're targeting edge and 63% say they're targeting serverless. So, you know, what was that stuff about? It being time to get serious. The survey suggests that developers still perceive the Wasm ecosystem as immature, with insufficient standards and a lack of consensus tooling, with almost half of respondents identifying both of those as major barriers to adoption. Respondents were exceptionally united in their prescription for a solution. 81% said the industry as a whole needs to build more fully featured and stable Wasm tools and projects. And there may be some good news out of the show for that 81%. At the Cloud Native Wasm Day satellite event, Docker and the Wasm Edge project announced new integrations that will bring support for Wasm Edge applications to Docker CLI, Docker Desktop, and Docker Compose. That means you can now build, run, and manage Wasm Edge applications exactly the same way you do with containers via Docker. And according to Docker on that announcement, quote, we see Wasm as a complementary technology to Linux containers where developers can choose which technology they use, or both, depending on the use case. And as the community explores what's possible with Wasm, we want to help make Wasm applications easier to develop, build, and run using the experience and tools you know and love." Unquote. So if you're looking for standardization in the toolchain, this should be pretty welcome news. The Docker plus Wasm toolchain is currently available in a technical preview build of Docker Desktop. You can get to that from the Docker blog, and we'll share the link in the chat for our live audience. Uh, so what have you seen that's interested you, John? Uh, well, I, you know, the first thing that interests me is the fact that you say WASM instead of WASM. I have oh. always internally pronounced it WASM because of assembly, but... Regional dialects, I imagine. There you go, yeah. <laughs> um, we've seen a lot. Uh, there are, uh, obviously, the show just opened today, but there are uh, a bunch of uh, uh, a bunch of people talking about new things, uh, obviously, and we expect that the flood of news releases and... Uh, and, uh, um, uh, uh, and, and and stories will continue for the next couple of days, so we will probably catch up next week on some of that. Um, Aqua Security, which makes CNAP, uh, which is a, a, a triple threat platform that secures Kubernetes private and public cloud platforms, build automation, uh, CICD delivery, and apps and workloads, uh, have uh, just announced a new program to honor their own top contributors to open source projects community. We are you know, interested in this, obviously, because uh, the, the, uh, the bulk of the work being done in, uh, in, in open source is done by few and, and uh, a few and generous, a few developers who are extraordinarily generous with their time, energy, and, and expertise. Definitely. Um, and, uh, and it is perpetually a problem making, making people 
you know, feel that they are appreciated as well as, you know, their accomplishments lauded in the abstract. Um, and indeed figuring out ways to compensate them where possible for their work, um, where, you know, a, a, a large vendor is not hiring them to work on an open source project. So that is explicit. They are beginning with uh, honoring a star contributor on a monthly basis uh, who will receive a prize in appreciation for their contribution. They will star their uh, contributors and build a hall of fame to highlight uh, different people's journeys in open source and their contributions around uh, aqua and its subsidiary projects um, and uh, they'll have a uh, a uh, uh, an annual it looks like superstar contributor named who will uh, join their open source team for an all expenses paid trip to kubicon next year um, individuals are considered for the program by making any kind of significant contribution uh, to Aqua's key open source projects. Um, presumably, that means across technical areas as well as uh, uh, as well as areas like documentation and and other uh, you know quality of life uh, enrichment activities. Um, so, uh, you know, this is an extremely cool thing. Um, we're 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 always pleased to see different people explore different models for for uh, 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 for developer relations at different scales um, and uh, we applaud the effort uh, Eric well for folks who are maybe a little earlier in their cloud native journeys the CNCF announced a new free Linux foundation course develop, uh, delivered through edX focusing on Istio the course is designed to introduce developers operators and security folks to the fundamentals of service meshes in general and to Istio in particular and the course was created by folks from Tetri, which was, of course, built by some of the folks who helped create Istio and covers topics like observability with service mesh, controlling routing, and using mutual TLS for more secure architectures. And that course is available now. Um, there's quite a lot of news this week around Caverno, which is uh, the policy engine designed for Kubernetes that manages policies as Kubernetes resources. Uh, the advantage of this is that you don't need to learn a new and potentially complicated representational language or adopt specialized tools to work with policies in a Kubernetes context. You use, use Caverno to validate, mutate, and generate um, now multiple resources, uh, either manually or as part of a CI-CD pipeline from the command line. Um, in mid-October, Caverno dropped a significant release, their version 1.8, which added pod security admission. Um, that's a new validation capability that uses Kubernetes pod security admission libraries to implement pod security standards more flexibly and simply than conventional methods. Um, they have also been adding software supply chain security and validation capabilities like the ability to validate encryption signatures on YAML manifests, uh, all of it uh, extremely useful. Um, and it, it sort of points up the fact that security seems to be a major sub-theme of this Kubicon, doesn't it? Definitely. Uh, and, and not surprising, right? It's been the major sub-theme of this year, <laughs> but uh, you definitely see it evident here. Um, I, I, the, we're a bit at a loss because some of the stories that we have been made privy to are embargoed for the next couple of days. It seems like the, the news embargo uh, schedule for the show is, uh, uh, is uh, serried in a way that maybe it hasn't been uh, so much in the recent past. So, um, so obviously we're observing these uh, embargoes, uh, but there are stuff coming out in the next couple of days that will kind of blow your socks off in the security terrain, including, I guess we can say, a lot of AI-based 
uh, security helper stuff and uh, software validation stuff, uh, all of which you know has potential to work together, uh, you know, in in uh, you know potentially very useful and powerful ways to to build um, the kinds of things that we've been talking about at Mirandas for the past couple of years: secure software supply chains. Absolutely. Uh, so one of the uh, unembargoed <laughs> stories we can talk about, uh, we had an announcement from KubeCost uh, that they have several news, new and updated offerings. Uh, their technology already comes in a couple of different flavors. Uh, so you've got OpenCost, which is the open source core that you can self-deploy and which is currently a CNCF sandbox project. Uh, you've also got KubeCost itself, which is the more expansive proprietary version. And that's also self-deployed traditionally and comes in a few different tiers, including a free tier. Uh, so the first big change is that the free tier now allows for deployment across unlimited clusters. Pretty cool. The other big announcement is that they're offering a new hosted version called KubeCost Cloud. And the hosted version is in limited availability at the moment, and the company plans to take it to general availability early next year. And it looks like John dropped off there, but uh, while he's trying to get back, got one or two more stories to talk about. Uh, so this one comes a little bit from uh, prior to KubeCon, but I think it's worth uh, worth diving into. So last week, late last week, Google announced that they've submitted their project for containerizing Go apps to the CNCF. And this project's called KO, uh, not to be confused with our own K0's uh, Kubernetes distribution. But what it does is it builds super stripped down containerized environments for executing Go code with minimal dependency overhead and with some nice features like automatic SBOM generation. Uh, the project emerged as a piece of tooling for working on Knative, but it ought to be pretty useful for all kinds of Kubernetes resources. And you can find it at ko-build slash ko on GitHub. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if the CNCF brings it into the stable. I would imagine they will. And hey, John, you're back. I am. Sorry. I had a little, uh, you know, a, a little technical problem, but now I am back. Um, Continuing with the with the you know the, the the general trend, it seems like another major sub theme of this show, you know, and obviously prior shows for the past several years has been observability. But it looks like observability is a platform, uh, you know, as a, a, a as a, a as a, a matter of platforms um, is is gaining ground, which is interesting when you consider that a lot of the observability tools. That the open source community has focused on projects like Open Telemetry um, have been solving one part of a bigger, much more complicated puzzle, and kind of expecting to draw an ecology around themselves, which has indeed happened, uh, to make use of of their um, uh, of of their software to solve uh, actual problems for programmers day to day. We are also seeing some larger full platform plays, including one uh, announced this week from ServiceNow, whose LightStep business unit um, has uh, has come up with something that they call a unified query language, um, which is part of a, uh, an end-to-end -end software platform that lets them do um, observability as code, they call it. Um, a simple way of representing uh, observability requirements for uh, code in many languages so that apps are born with observability and then dashboards can be built by LightSteps back end so that SREs and other folks don't need to manually build them for apps. Um, so the apps come up and the dashboards exist, which from my point of view is kind of flipping neat, right? 
um, you know, getting getting this kind of surround work done so that you can continue to focus on iterating rapidly and learning from your observabilities is potentially very valuable. Um, and why this effort would be expended here, you know, is clear when you see that IDC estimates, for example, that observability globally is growing to over 9 billion by 2025. So this is a huge global market for uh, uh, for sophisticated tools. <laughs> but where does this leave projects like OpenTelemetry, who are also here and who are talking very actively with their community and looking for guidance and, and seeking to be transparent uh, about their, their roadmap and to share collaboration around their roadmap and let their community provide guidance towards, you know, what people actually need and what they want to build. Um, they're here and they have completed a great deal of work this year, including a logging function. They've extended their telemetry platforms and SDKs to more languages, including C and uh, C++, and are fast building documentation to make themselves easier to consume and inviting the, uh, you know, as I said, the large community of their users to collaborate to set their go-forward roadmap, which is what they did at uh, Mid-Year Europe, uh, Kubicon, and are doing here this week. Um, so um, it, it, it's interesting, obviously, OpenTelemetry being, you know, at least asserting itself as a potential standard without, um, you know, any vendor having a particular angle in it. Uh, we have to figure out how to how to preserve values like that while also enabling the creation of end-to-end -end tools that are easier to use and sort of more immediately useful and take some of the drudgery out of out of setting up to use observability and get people more people using it. Yeah, I think um, one of the more interesting trends I've seen walking around the show is, is just the continued emergence of more and more platform plays like you're talking about, but at different levels of the pipeline. So you've got these observability platforms down here. And then, you know, we're seeing a lot of uh, application deployment platforms doing, you know, including our own um, Amazie. Uh, and, and we're seeing a lot of similar plays from folks like Garden uh, and um, uh, Acorn. Uh, that, that's pretty prominent walking around the show floor. I'm curious, we just got about maybe four or five more minutes here. Uh, are there any other major themes you think are kind of important that you're seeing walking around the show floor, walk, uh, you know, looking at the sessions? Um, it, 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 it's interesting because one of the themes that I see is the unspoken theme, which is that Kubicon is for I mean, originally it was for people who built Kubernetes, and it still is. And it's for people who are deeply, deeply involved and invested in specifics of the technology around Kubernetes, you know, because they make their living there and bless them. But it, it feels like Kubernetes for enterprise is once again going to be a thing. I mean, three, four, five, six years ago, there were initial plays. Um, but we see continued evolution of the Kubernetes, uh, you know, general marketplace, and we see the persistence and increasing viability of Kubernetes as a standard, you know, as, you know, of upstream as a as a usable thing. Um, aren't we seeing enterprise Kubernetes reassert itself as simply that that you know, in a sufficiently you know opinionated. Um, 
uh, yet standardized uh, um, configuration that it is possible for enterprises to begin reasonably consuming this technology at scale, that there's nothing particularly scary about it, and that there are um, there are numerous ways to um, you know to make Kubernetes power more consumable, including serverless platforms and you know various application frameworks, rapid uh, <coughs> rapid deployment web frameworks like uh, like Amazie that that you know take the wondering how to make scalable web apps around Drupal. Um, uh, you know it's 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 interesting stuff, but I almost feel like the you know part of the news is that we need a new show now. You know. <laughs> Uh, well, that's a pretty good note to close on. And our, our kind of window here is, is coming to a close. Do you have any last comments or stories you want to talk about before we close? Well, there was a fascinating um, DevSecOps survey that GitLab did in May um, and uh, that they continue with over 5K, uh, with over, over 5K uh, respondents. Uh, with uh, with uh, you know some good news about Dev uh, DevOps and DevSecOps, seventy percent of teams, according to the survey responses, are releasing daily or more often. Uh, but mm. There is plenty of headroom apparently for automation, since only twenty four percent are fully automated end to end. Um, and that being uh, you know our sweet spot, let's make that automation work better for these people and let them you know release every hour. <laughs> Absolutely, never stop releasing. Never stop releasing. That's right. Never skip leg day. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we will, of course, wrap up everything we've seen at the show next week, uh, talk through a lot of different sessions um, and, and further announcements as they come. Thanks, everyone, to tuning in. And thanks to producer Nika for being extra awesome and extra flexible today. And uh, to all the team here at KubeCon and to all of you for listening. And, John, Goodbye, thanks for everybody. Have a great day. Take care.